Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 14 of the Stay Grounded podcast. Man, I get so pumped when we're doing these releases on Saturdays just because it gets me all giddy thinking about all the amazing guests uh, that we're getting to interview and, and pick brains on and this week is no different. Um, man, I'm just so pumped about this week's guest. So this week's guest, I met him at a mastermind uh, in the mountains of Connecticut. And the first time I met him, he just had this really calm, serene look about him. Uh, my guest today, Mr. Brad Hart, has gone through it all to become the man he is. He's fought depression. He is he has overcome depression and he's created a life that uh, I am personally incredibly inspired by, and so can't wait to get started. But before we do, um, I would love for you to leave a rating, a review, and subscribe to the Stay Grounded podcast on whatever medium you choose to listen to. iTunes is a great place, but I would love your feedback. I'd love to know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, just so I can improve and continue delivering uh, content that, that you want to listen to on a weekly basis. So, Enough stalling. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to another amazing episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. Oh, man, I am uh, beyond excited for today's wonderful guest, uh, a dear friend of mine, Mr. Brad Hart. How are you, my friend? Um, well, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for everybody for listening. Yeah, absolutely, man. Gosh, you, uh, you've got one hell of a story and, and I'm, I'm just privileged to be here listening to you and, and chatting with you and catching up and you seem like a type of guy that's got a million things happening. So I appreciate your time and you being here, my friend. Yeah, I could actually share my calendar right now if you really want. If this is a video podcast, I could share it. It's not a video podcast, but I want to see it anyways, just because yeah, uh, I imagine in general, but <laughs> Wednesday, uh, literally every single hour of the day is blocked today. That's not normal. And, and I don't believe in just being busy for the sake of being busy, but uh, this happened, you know, we're just coming off a big launch. We just launched our cryptocurrency course with the elevation group and went really well. And, you know, we've cleared six figures in sales, which, you know, we're looking to make into seven pretty soon here. Um, so yeah, things are going great and, uh, let's just start kind of from the beginning, I guess, and go from there, you know, you can look at all the shiny objects that we have going on now and, and kind of overarch that with, um, it's not reality, right? The reality is I've worked my ass off since I was 12 years old to get to where I am today. And the reality is I've been an investor since I was 16 and people see, uh, the results of that 
consistent work and a lot of ups and downs, but they don't really know the, the story behind the man. And what I've learned from doing a lot of my own interviews and talking my own story and, and other people's stories as well is people respect you for your successes, certainly. And I've had a few of those. What they'll really relate to is your failures because not everybody can relate to success and everybody's had success yet in their terms on their definitions. Uh, but everybody's had failure. You know, everybody's had loss. Everybody's had pain. Everybody's had been afraid. Everybody's felt like they didn't belong or that they weren't going to have enough in their life. And if they didn't have enough, that they weren't going to be loved. And love's what we need. It's the, you know, it's the oxygen of our soul. And it's kind of the, the basis of all the things that I do. It's, you know, if you look on my Facebook and you guys can follow me, it's uh, facebook.com slash Brad Hart. If you want to connect, shoot me a note, more than welcome. Um, life is for living and love is for giving. I and love I that. You know, and, and what I seek to be in the world is just a reminder that no matter how bad it gets, you can use that pain and make it make sense in the long term. You can't always see it going forward, but you can look back and say, oh man, that makes a lot of sense in context because we all have that pain. We all have that something in our life that just didn't come out all right. And for me, you know, my story was pretty painful growing up. I was uh, two years old when my dad got injured. He was, uh, you know, living with my mom. Everything seemed perfect. Uh, he had a little bit of a drinking issue. We'll get into that too. Uh, but one day he's driving a lumber truck to support us and come down a hill and the load shifted, pinned the steering wheel, couldn't walk. All right, slipped the disc in his spine. Wow. Yeah. Six weeks, I'm sorry, six months rather, uh, crawling around on one of those mechanics creeper like you'd, you'd use to slide under a car and work on a car. Uh, and during that time, he made some really great artwork, but mostly he just, you know, went off the deep end. Um, Eventually he had a surgery so that he could walk again, but he was never able to, to not be in pain again. Yeah. And mom eventually had to leave, right? For two reasons is because he, he was really volatile and difficult to be around. And, uh, you know, he, he medicated with everything from drinking to caffeine to marijuana to, you know, various different psycho suppressant drugs, that kind of stuff. And she had to go and find a way to keep a roof over our head and make sure I was okay. So here I am, you know, this, this little kid, five years old, staying with my dad, um, who, you know, they stayed married on paper. So he would be on insurance and have, and have benefits. Uh, so would I, uh, keep a roof over her head and she had to go into the city and find work. I was out on Long Island at the time. We had a little bit of help, but not much. It was mostly security, social security and disability checks that we were cashing. And, you know, my dad could go out and fill the fridge with food every couple of weeks. But basically after that, I was on my own. You know, I had to get yeah. myself up. I had to make sure I fed myself. I had to make sure that all the dishes were clean and the garbage was taken out and the lawn was mowed and all this stuff ever since I was a little kid. So, you know, it was, it was, it was challenging, you know, it was, and I felt abandoned. I felt lost. And one of the things is that my mom, um, kind of was a little over parenting before she left. And then there was no supervision whatsoever. So now I'm like, Oh, I can go out and play with all the neighbor kids. They'll be super nice. No, they weren't. They were bastard coated bastards of bastard filling, you know, yeah. For the most part, a lot of them became skinheads and assholes and murdered people and went to jail. And a lot of them are dead now. Yeah. So at that age coming out of the house, just wanted to be a love bug and meet everybody and getting stood up against the wall and kicked in the nuts as hard as I could, uh, for, until the adults came and intervened. How and old were you? I was probably six or so at that time. Six or so. Yeah. Before I really got out into the world and saw what it was for my own self. And you make up a lot of stories about that, right? You make up a lot of stories about how people are and how they are. And I think the overarching thing, if you do like landmark or Tony Robbins or any of these things is like, that was the moment when you realized that life was not what you thought it was. Yeah. 
And that can change and pattern a lot of things in your life that can create a lot of painful associations. And my association was, I don't belong. People don't like me. And I wasn't the biggest, fastest, strongest. So I had to learn to get really good with dealing with people, especially in volatile situations. You have a dad who's drunk and depressed and mercurial and, you know, stays up all night and sleeps all day. And you've got a kid who's alone, just feels utterly alone and has to take care of himself. You've got bullies and tormentors all over the place. Um, I'm sure I'm bringing a lot of it on myself because I don't have a way to relate to people yet, but you're really good at it quickly and understanding and figuring out, okay, what does this mean? And how do I make it as little pain as possible? And I, and, and violence wasn't my answer. There's no way I was going to be violent to solve it. So I mostly tried to become as funny and as valuable as possible, which turned out to be really great skills later in life. <laughs> before I even really understood why they were going to be important. Like, you know, that was my survival mechanism. Yeah. Uh, it's only many years later that I'm able to kind of see all this for what it was. But at the time I was just doing anything I could to survive like anybody would. And I didn't feel like I had anybody to turn to. And that's why mentorship is so important to me now is because I get to be there for people and hold them in that space. And I've been through shit. That's probably way worse than, than most of them have been through. I started drinking when I was 11 years old, for example. Um, my dad was sober at this point, but he kept beer in the house for guests. And I found that I had one beer and I felt really good. I had two beers. I felt really good. And then I was like, Oh, well, how far can I push this? So I was 12 years, you know, 11 year old kid. I had seven beers in one night and got really, really sick as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and then left it alone for a while. Got back into it around 12 or 13, started smoking, doing that whole thing, hanging out with all the hoodlums in the neighborhood. And pretty soon I was a full on alcoholic. By the time I was like 14, 15, I was getting alcohol every night. We had this kid who lived in town uh, who worked at the local liquor store and he would do the inventory. So basically yeah. he would bring bottles home and sell them to us for five or $10. And that was his little side business. So we were getting, you know, handles and liters of, of rum and vodka and whiskey and every other thing as, as really young kids, like in patterning those, those, you know, unfortunately alcoholic patterns very early. And, and then you add marijuana and, and all the other stuff into it. My whole, you know, high school career was very up and down. I was a good student for a long time until that happened. And then it just kind of went off the rails. Um, when did you feel like, like your childhood right now, it's, it's, it just seems like you're getting slammed left and right. When? Oh yeah. It just, it just yeah, yeah. No, I know it doesn't. I know it doesn't. You haven't even gotten to the good parts yet. <laughs> I mean, Dude, I, yeah, I want to, I want I, I want you to continue the story, but I want to, I want to commend you just based on where you are right now. Um, like you've really, you, like you've really transformed your reality, which is, is amazing to me. Um, I'm grateful to know you, my man. Uh, Thank you. And, and it's a, it's a process, right? It's a transforming. It's, yeah. not, a transformed. it's not over until I'm dead. Not yet. Um, so thank you. And I want to acknowledge that everybody's on a journey and everybody's, uh, able to pull from that journey, things that are meaningful to others. And I'm just grateful that I've done enough work now to do that, to be able to pull out these pieces and say, okay, this is what's happened. And I'll finish up the story and I'll kind of take some of the lessons and, and yeah. make it valuable for people as well, uh, that are listening, you know, and maybe you're, you're, if you are listening and you're hearing some of your own stuff come up, which I, you know, take some time to be present with that because I think there's going to be some breakthroughs coming. 
Um, and it will mean something. It's not, and it's not in vain. It's not random. It's not pointless. I didn't believe in God for a very long time. And one of the benefits or, or detriments of going to Catholic school for eight years, which is where my parents ended up putting me is like, Oh, these, these people are going to kill you, which is true. Um, let's put you over here. Uh, you end up not being so Catholic, but I'm very spiritual. <laughs> I wasn't for a long time. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of funny to see my own journey on that, but you're picking up where we left off. So here I am now 15, 16, it finally comes ahead with my dad. I'm sitting, I remember we got a computer when I was 16. I'm sitting with my friend, my best friend at the time, um, playing on the computer and I got hit in the side of the head as hard as, you know, I'd ever been hit in the temple. And I nearly blacked out and fell to the floor. And it turned out my dad was drunk and decided to take it out of me. So, uh, if my best friend had not been there, I would have killed him that day. I was ready to choke him to death. I was so angry at him at that moment that I was ready to, to end his life. Uh, so he stepped in and intervened. Luckily he was bigger than both of us. This guy, you know, I would always make friends with the bigger kids as best <laughs> I could. Uh, and, Mark he, guy. Um, but he did go to jail and, and he did, you know, get his shit sorted out. And there was a lot of pain around that. I had to leave home. So I didn't want to move with my mom. I was still mad at her. Uh, didn't, I couldn't live with my dad. You know, that was a whole thing. I uh, couldn't stay at home by myself. And what did I do? I got in my car and I lived in it. And I started going and showering at school and then, you know, just trying to keep some semblance of normal life going. And by the way, I'm in this wealthy, affluent East End, you know, private school and I'm the poorest kid there like, by far. So like I've got this $400 hoopty that I bought from my neighbor. <laughs> it's got dented quarter panels. I'm living in it. I'm showering in the locker room. It didn't take long for people to start, you know, telling stories. And one of the stories was, what the fuck? Are you like homeless now? What's happening? We <laughs> knew I was a fuck up, but they didn't know like the extent of how bad it had gotten. Yeah. Uh, so one day the coach, uh, coach Jaroski was his name. Was a lot of, you know, uh, Polish influence in the school I went to came up to me and said, Brad, what the hell's going on with you? And, and I told him finally, and he's like, all right, we got to sort this out. So I ended up moving in with my mom and, you know, finally relenting to that because I didn't, I really was so angry at my mom for so long. I only realized like the depth of it in recent years, like how angry I've been at my mom for so many years for doing what I perceived to be a very selfish thing. Uh, when she was just doing the best she knew how to do, you know, and she had been working since she was 13 years old and she had six brothers and sisters that she cared for before that. And not, she didn't have a good time of it, you know, in life either. So she wasn't really that equipped to handle everything that had happened to, to us. And I was the only kid and, and I just kind of got the brunt of that. So uh, seeing it from her perspective really helps and, and getting out of my own shit and just, you know, dissolving the ego around that stuff was really helpful. But this is all stuff that I didn't really start to sort out until my mid to late twenties, you know, I'm 32 now. And I'm like looking back on my view of the world at that time. Um, it gave me a passion and a desire to make a lot of money. I was going to be wealthy. That was, that was it. Like that was going to solve all my problems. And I committed to wealth since a very early age. As soon as I realized that money could solve or ease the tension on a lot of the problems, I became an entrepreneur accidentally. Our mower broke one day and we had to, we had to get it fixed. Right. And I didn't have any money, the stuff that I apparently needed to make that happen. So I went to my neighbors and I said, Hey, can we borrow your mower? I want to finish mowing the lawn, but also, uh, can I mow your lawn? you know, we give me some money for that. They said, all right, you know, I'll get paid 20 bucks for that. Cool. You know, I was a plumber's apprentice. I worked on a shooting range. I just did every odd job you possibly think of to get money and like, you know, marketed my services and went out and fulfilled the services and just did all these things that I didn't know what they were at the time, but I was running a little business. Yep. 
as time went on, I got better and better at doing stuff like that. I got better and better at asking people for stuff. I got better and better at, at figuring out how to overcome objections at, at managing my time and all these things that, you know, credit my success now that I was patterning at an early age, despite all of my challenges that I had, which were very real challenges. And, uh, mostly that was just to have enough money to feel okay and to get hammered or if I wanted to and do whatever I wanted to do to escape my current situation in reality. And it wasn't until I finally had enough pain because I went through this whole cycle of making money and I don't want to get this to be a money podcast, but you know, we've got multiple businesses. I've run hedge funds. I've made a million dollars in a month. I, I haven't found satisfaction and fulfillment there, but that is the end result of focusing on generating money and ways to generate money for 10 years is that you end up making a lot of money and it doesn't solve all your problems. And you feel just where you started. You feel just as miserable, except now you have money to, to amplify that misery. Yeah. Um, so where it all came to a head for me, skipping ahead in the story just a little bit was when I was, let's see, I'm living in Santa Monica and I'm dating a woman who is a singer and just beautiful, wonderful person. And we we're dating and we we're dating for about a year and I'm just emotionally dead, right? I'd shut down my fund. I had this money. I'm living the life. I have the ocean view, the beautiful life, the girlfriend, the whole thing. I think everything's great. And it was, you know, yeah. except I'm dead inside emotionally. I got, I got nothing. I can't figure out why I just, you know, Hey, I'll figure out the next thing, whatever it is. I don't know why I'm not fulfilled. I don't know why I'm not satisfied. Uh, I know now why that was, but I didn't at the time. And what finally shook me out of it is because I had quit drinking and, you know, gone through that cycle. I'm like, oh, you know, it's just everything I did. I was like, oh, if I just get in best shape of my life, I'll, I'll feel better. Life won't suck. And emotionally, I'll be fine. Didn't help, right? Or I'll just get the girlfriend or I'll just make all the money or I'll just um, do this or I'll do that or whatever it is that's going to just finally solve this problem of I don't feel good. Always in a state of doing. Yeah. And I did all those things and none of them made me feel good. Yep. And I couldn't figure out why. And I wasn't particularly in tune with my emotions. And I would just kind of write it off to be like, oh, it's not that. It's this next thing and this next thing and this next thing. And I'm spending all this money on personal development. I'm going on all these trips and joining in all these masterminds. But I hadn't had that moment of hitting bottom, right? That that hitting bottom that's forwarded by and, – and, because alcohol had been eliminated. Like I saw my best friend. I saw my dad. I saw the people in my life who had died from drinking and I quit – just for fucking miraculous reasons. Like I just, yeah. I had those patterns. I don't like calling myself an alcoholic. I don't believe in labeling yourself, you know, and I may, um, that may spur some ire from some of the people who believe that's the only way to get past it. But what worked for me is not a, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's the 99% use case. I would say that's the 1% use case. I was able to just quit for 30 days and then spread that out to 18 months. And uh, what came to a head was I was dating this woman for 12 of those 18 months. For six months before that, I hadn't drank. I met her. I wasn't a drinker. She was fine with that. For about a year went by. Um, and I decided to, hey, I'm just going to have a drink with this one. I'm, I'm good. I got this, right? And then that drink turned into, well, I'm going to Italy with the boys. Let's go get shit faced for two weeks. And coming back to your Dear John letter. And the Dear John letter wasn't, that wasn't bad, right? I was like, oh, relationship ended. Okay, no big deal. I'll go out and get somebody hotter and younger. And I did. And I went out and I met a girl who was two years younger and tall and blonde and took her home that night and that whole thing. A couple days later, I'm out at that same bar because she lived a few blocks from me and I see her out with this new guy and I start to do the math. I start to think, wait a second, hold on. She's been dating this guy while I was away. She'd been dating this guy for a long time, in fact. And I started asking around. I started like piecing this all together and it just like finally hit me. It was like, oh shit. You know, she had 
been dating me, but really I was just something I wasn't connecting with her emotionally. I was, I was just something for now until something better showed up. What was better that showed up is the person she ended up marrying. And that's where the pain started. That's where I really like got shocked back into reality of like, what I'm doing is not working. Yeah. And that, that, that knife, that, you know, gut feeling you get where it's like just dragging up your sternum and you're just like every bit of you just hurts. And I went through that for months and months and months. And I was like, this, there's no end to this pain. I didn't know I could feel this much. I was in so much pain for so long around this girl that broke up with me. And I've been broken up with before, but it's not like this. Cause I fundamentally felt broken. I felt unlovable. I felt unconnected. I felt fucked. Like I just didn't, I didn't have another answer. And I wasn't willing to move on from that place. What was the shift you needed to, that was the, that was the experience you needed to make a shift, but what was the mental shift in that moment that allowed you to sort of grow from it and, and start making positive changes that did heal you emotionally? Yeah, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was finally willing to accept that. So I had been reading that book, uh, Money Match to the Game by Tony Robbins, because I was a finance guy and it came out. I was like, oh, this is a great book. And I read it in two sittings. It's a 700 page book. I'm kind of a nut. And I made an hour long video for my friends and family about it. I'm like, there's some great stuff in this book, stuff that's never been shared before. Not because Tony's the master and he'll say that, but because he has access to the masters, right? The Paul Tudor Johnges, the uh, the Ray Dalio's. I've got his book right here. I'm always geeking out on it. Principles. Yeah, I'm um, reading that myself right now. Yeah, it's just fantastic. Uh, I recommend it. Um, you know, and I'm an investor, tried and true. I'm going to read everything I possibly can on the subject. I've got stacks of books all over the place. I'm a nut. But just having that open the door to Tony, because I had his book on the on the shelf for eight years. I just kind of read a few pages, put it down, didn't really get it. And I bought a ticket and I said, I'm going to go see what this man has to say, because now I'm interested, right? He got my attention because he came the finance route. Going to that event, I'd like to say it was like, oh my God, everything changed overnight and it was all perfect from there on out. It wasn't, but I was finally in so much pain. I was willing to listen to somebody else that, that seemed to understand why I was experiencing what I was experiencing. And more important than that, not just the pain piece, but why am I experiencing, why am I not experiencing the solution to this pain? Like what's, what's the way to actually live your life where you are successful and fulfilled? Because I had mastered one, the science of success, but I completely whiffed, just got nothing on fulfillment. And it was getting more and more and more painful. And I just wasn't willing to live my life that way anymore. I'm like, I'm young. I'm smart. I've got money. What the fuck? I can't figure this out. There's plenty of people around me that have been saying, Brad, go to Tony Robbins. Brad, go to Tony Robbins. Go to Landmark. Go to this. Go to that. I'm like, yeah. But finally, I was willing to listen because I had enough pain in my life to be like, okay, maybe they know something I don't. They know a lot of things I don't, but maybe they know something I don't. Was, <laughs> was my, you know, caveat at the time. I was willing to, you know, admit that. So I go to UPW, which is, if, if you guys aren't familiar with Tony Robbins, uh, unleash the power within. And something just cracked open. Like I did the, the Dickens process. I did all the exercises and just something about being in that environment and feeling the way I felt. I was like, I got to keep here. I got to stay here. So I, I kept investing, kept buying all their programs. I ended up going to 10 of them to the day. Uh, and that was a little over three years ago now um, that I started down that path. And, you know, Tony Robbins isn't the right fit for everybody, but for me, it was life-changing because it finally gave me the peak performance tools, the understanding of how my brain is wired, the understanding of my emotions, my neurology, my intelligence, my physical body, and how every human being is wired. 
and then how our values shape into that and how our, uh, you know, our needs shape into that and how we value those needs. Like I was a, a total narcissist basically. And I still am. I still have narcissistic tendencies. I'm okay with that. I accept that. Uh, but now it's balanced with a lot of knowing and understanding about how I can use that for, for the benefit of more than just myself. Brad, I want to just ask a quick question on that note. You found it's, you've had a lot of mentors throughout your time, your coach when you were in high school, um, Tony at this stage in your life. Um, how do you, uh, I think a lot of people, including myself, uh, don't go out and seek mentors just because I don't know what I'm looking for. Do you have any insight on that concept of how you can, you can kind of kind of cut the time between uh, getting the help you need versus knowing who you need to get help from? Yeah. And this is actually um, a bigger conversation because uh, here's something I know that I didn't know before all of this. And I actually didn't learn this until about a year and a half ago. I wish I learned it 10 years ago. So I'm just going to cut to the chase for you guys. Different entrepreneurs and different types of people and different types of investors, they have different, you know that already, right? There's different personality tests that eludicate these strengths. The one that really did it for me and made me understand why I'm so good at what I do and how this will re relate to you because it's my natural strength and it might not be your natural strength or it might be, I don't know, we can take the test and find out, is this wealth dynamics, right? And I just break it down to, are you good at ideas? Are you good with people? Are you good at timing? Are you good at numbers? You can be good at two of those four things if you're like kind of in the cusp between two, but nobody's good at all four. And the reason we can win in entrepreneurship is because we can surround ourselves with people who balance us out where we're weak. So why does that matter? A couple reasons. I'm naturally good at attracting people, talent, managers, um, mentors, all of that. That's, that's my, I'm a hundred percent focused on that because that's what I'm best at. I've also learned that you need somebody who is a good mentor for you because the worst thing in the world is to have a mentor who will give you their strategy that's worked for them objectively, but their strength is different than yours. So when you go to implement that strategy, it won't work for you. And you need to have that ability to understand that going in is like, you know, if you're more like me and you try to get mentored by Elon Musk or Richard Branson, they can give you the best strategy in the world, but they're an ideas guy and their strength is ideas and living up there where you might be a people person. So my strength is not what I know. It's who I know. And asking that question is like, okay, I'm clear on what I want. I'm clear on why I want it. The how is easy for me because I just find the person. I don't need to know everything if I know everybody. So my strength is not going out there and saying, I've got the best system or the best idea or the best timing. Even it's going out and saying, I know the right people. I can assemble that team and I can incentivize that team. I can lead that team. I can rock that out. So to summarize, focusing on figuring out what you're good at allows you to find the right mentor for what you need. And at the time, exactly. you need it. And, and it's, and you can ask people who are good with people. That could be your first step, right? It's like, I know I'm good at this. I know I'm looking for this. And you can use that, that language, right? So Roger James Hamilton, who did wealth dynamics, I really recommend that test. Uh, he, there's eight different types of entrepreneurs and, you know, again, ideas, people, timing numbers, uh, is just a shorthand for me to explain it to people, but he has eight different types and they have all different, uh, strategies and, you know, somebody like Warren Buffett is not going to be successful the way that somebody like Tony Robbins or Oprah is. So if you're an Oprah or Tony Robbins type, you want more of that kind of mentor. And if you're a uh, Warren Buffett type, you want more of that kind of member, uh, mentor, but they're opposite sides of the spectrum. Same thing as Mark Zuckerberg versus like Donald Trump. They're going to approach problems and, and, and win very differently, but they're both winning in their way, right? Uh, but, you know, one is not going to use the other strategy and vice versa to win. 
Curious, curious question. Um, with all of this talk, like just the concept of self-improvement and everything along those lines, I've always felt like there are fundamental things that are a part of everyone's life uh, that you can channel and use at different moments. Like, for example, gratitude. Simple principles like practicing gratitude or appreciation or spreading love. I mean, these things like this. How does this show up in your own life um, on a daily basis? Two sayings. So um, appreciation. What you appreciate appreciates. It's a vibrational thing. 100%. And a grateful heart is a magnet for miracles. I borrowed that from Mike Shervikov. I'm on the, the board of his foundation, the Greatness Foundation. We do house builds in Mexico and Syrian refugee camps. We work in you know, camps and displaced people and hurricane relief, Haiti, all, all kinds of different stuff all over the world. And you can check us out, uh, greatness.ngo. Um, I'm on there and uh, we do house builds pretty often. We're doing another one in March down in Mexico. You know, people are living in dirt. We build them a house. Two days later, they're you know, in a much better place to care yeah. of themselves and their children. So you know, th- that real impact, right? Um, and what I've learned is that until you have a mission and a purpose that is bigger than yourself, you won't, you know, you really, you'll whiff on all that other stuff. You really will. Like it's cause life supports that, which supports life. And gratitude is a function of contrast. And you can only appreciate what you have contrast with which to value. So let me just back up a little bit cause I'm using heady language if you've been in the shit, you've been to where bad is, and you know that you're currently experiencing that this is not it, and you remind yourself of that on a regular basis, that, hey, I've been to where bad is, this is not it, and be grateful and vibrate that gratitude, that sends a signal out to the world and other people and, and everything that more of that, please, yes, please, yes, please. So living in a state of gratitude is actually a really simple, easy thing that everybody can do. And it just comes from noticing when things are going pretty damn good and not focusing on the crap because there's always 1% of things that are going wrong. This is the problem with the news today is they focus on the 1% of things that are going wrong on any given day and not the 99% of things that are going just fine. Or even amazing. Or even amazing, right? And your level of which you can experience gratitude is like working a muscle, Yeah. right? You're not going to go and lift the 300-pound bar of gratitude on the first day. <laughs> You start out with the little you know, five pound dumbbells and you work it way up. But the profound sense of gratitude I have is a sense of contrast between my life then and my life now. It's a whole different life. I live in a five bedroom house looking over the ocean. I work with amazing people that serve at a high level. I get to impact thousands, if not millions of people with my work. Uh, my articles have been read a million times. I, you know, the Make More Marbles movement and mission and message is, is connecting with people on a level that I never even realized when I started that I would. Uh, people are writing into me saying I saved their life on a weekly basis with the alcohol and depression posts and the things that I post up on a regular basis. Not because I'm so great. I don't want to impress you. I'm not looking to do that. I want to impress upon you that I started out really fucked up and I found a way to make that work for us. For and other say, people. Not for me, for us. I love that. And that's, that's such a powerful concept because it gives, it alludes to the power that acknowledging your truth and acknowledging who you are um, is the best gift you can give the world because by showing up as your best self, uh, you allow other people to show up as theirs. How does that resonate with you and what you've seen and what you've experienced? Yeah, man, I'll borrow this straight from Tony. A leader doesn't create more followers. They create more leaders. You know, I've reached my capacity for what I can do as a function of me actually doing it. 
So now I need to get leverage. How do I get leverage? Well, I got 24 hours in a day. I want to leverage my time by working with people. I'm not good at lighting fires like Tony is. I'm not good at you know doing that. I can bring people. I brought 47 people to the last UPW. I got tickets for the next one. If you guys want to come VIP and do the mastermind day and the whole thing, just reach out to me and I'll get you a ticket. Um, and we get the best rates and all that. I don't do it to make money. I do it to transform people because I know that Tony can make an environment and has a skill set that I don't have. Once that fire's lit, I can throw gasoline on it. I'm great at mechanics and systems and putting the right people in the right places and making sure the team wins. Absolutely. I don't start fires. I, I throw gasoline on them. So, you know, understanding where you're great and where you're not great and being really clear and upfront and vulnerable about that is the first step. It really, really is. And that takes time to figure out. It just does. It's not an overnight process. Based on who you know you are, what are some of your daily non-negotiables that you just have to do every day to keep yourself lit and, and moving on this mission that, that you're on? Yeah. And again, Tony, this is UPW 101, the triad, right? It's what you're doing with your body is half of the battle because we are physical beings. We think it's an intellectual thing. Oh, I get that intellectually. Do you get it where it's wired and fired in your body so many times that's a habit? You don't even think about it. That's, that's the piece you're looking to get to. So what are you doing with your body? What are you focusing on? And what language are you using? That's the triad, right? If those three things are on the, on point, your emotional state is high. And emotional state, just like gratitude, it's a muscle. You got to build it, right? I don't wake up feeling great every day. Not far from it. But I have a process that gets me into a great physical and emotional state every day. I don't not work out every day. I don't not fast every day. I don't not drink a cup of coffee every morning. I don't not read every morning. I don't not, you know, neglect any of these various things that allow me to get into the right state. Most people wake up, they were right on their phone. They are watching the news, whatever shows up, shows up, whatever inbox fire is there. They're not ready to handle it. And they get sucked into the day and they spend the entire day reacting, 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 reacting from a place of high cortisol, high stress. And as soon as you have high cortisol, high stress, your prefrontal cortex shuts down. That's what makes you human versus a reptile or a monkey. What you want to be fostering is dosing yourself, right? Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. Those are your happy chemicals, the ones you should be striving to dose yourself with while lowering adrenaline and cortisol and getting out of fight and flight. It's the way you breathe. It's the way you stand. It's the way you use your body. It's the way you exercise. I run and or work out every day. I do something physical every single day. It doesn't have to be a lot, but it does have to be something. Is it all at the same time every day? Yeah. So I'm up six thirty, six in the morning, usually with the sun, um, you know, I'm meditating, I'm doing some breathing exercises. Again, Tony has some great stuff for that. Uh, it calls priming, right? Yep. Um, I'm reading, writing, getting out there, you know, the, the miracle morning is another great one that kind of gives you that scribes, you know, how Elrod a friend of mine actually working on the movie as well. I just had Hal on here. Uh, last week, I think. Great guy. I I haven't really spent a lot of time with him. I I know of him and uh, read his work, but, uh, you know, whatever it it all works, guys, pick a morning routine, stick to it and make it sacred. Right. So that's my thing. It's like, I don't actually start work until nine, but there's a good two or three hours that goes into getting me right for the day. It just is. Cause I know it's not about filling more hours. It's about making sure you show up to the hours that you're filling completely 100% present and focused. And people think I'm a nut. They see me work from nine until whenever. I don't take a break. Sometimes I don't eat. And I'm high energy the whole day. 
I'm in this office dancing around, I'm, you know, standing desk. I got all these different pieces and they think I'm some sort of superhuman. No, it's just, I've built that muscle day in and day out. And I'm at a level now where I know I can show up in service no matter what's going on. Even on an off day, I'm still on fire. That is and so powerful. Another level. I know there's another level above that. Cause I guess what I can look back and say, well, I used to be out of, out of shape. I used to be drunk. I used to be, you know, a smoker. I used to not run. I used to do this, not the other thing. Now I can knock out four miles. No big deal. I can go into the gym, knock out a big workout. I actually feel energized by all those activities and not drained by those activities. I know how to eat for my body. I know how to fast. I know how to eat the right things at the right time of day. I know how to put carbs at the end of the day. So I don't get too tired. I know how to keep my weight down. I know how to make sure I'm getting my other needs met, which may or may not be appropriate for your audience. But <laughs> You know, I just understand that these are all things that humans need and I'm a human being first. People forget. They, they try to think like, oh, I'm this meta proto crazy, you know, abstraction of a, of a living organism. No, you're a freaking human being. It's an animal that we are. You know, we have certain characteristics that, that we believe make us better or worse. But no, it's really like, what are you doing with your physical body? That's, the, that's 50% of it right there. Brad, for people who are inspired by you and want to start implementing a lot of these changes, how would you, how would you recommend they get started? Um, Cause obviously you're a finished product, but you've never, you haven't always been this finished product. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a finished product. You're not a finished product. You, I, <laughs> you're, you're light years. I'll be a finished product when I'm in a casket or spread you're, across. Yeah, you're, a, you've got a head start. Let's just yes. put it that way, right? I'm, so, I'm further along than some others for sure. Yes. So uh, how would you recommend? This is where I'm at. Exactly. And so I want to, I want to, I want to really give someone, give people something actionable. Like what can they do to get started? Um, what's the first thing you would do? I would understand that habits are everything, right? It starts with what you're valuing, what you're valuing becomes eventually what you believe, what you believe becomes what you think, what you think becomes what you say, what you say becomes what you do, what you do becomes a habit. When you do it over and over again, you wire and fire that in your nervous system. It becomes a, an unconscious habit there are things I'm great at or suck at that I'm unconsciously aware of. And it's a pendulum swing. You got to go from freedom to responsibility to freedom to responsibility because one inspires the other. Yeah. And pushes the narrative forward. So understanding you're in this paradoxical dichotomy of life and there's always these pendulum swings happening. And it's really the game of what can I control? How can I walk that, that abundant line, right? How can I be in the middle of these pendulum swings and walking that line? you know, not a miser, but not a martyr. Yeah. Right. Not a maniac, but not a, not, not never taking any risk. You know, there's, there's balance. So, uh, to get started, it's just understanding that you can form habits very easily. I like 30 day challenges. They work for me in 12 months. You have 12 different habits that can change your entire life. That's so powerful. Wow. I I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. In three years, you have 36 new habits. You're a whole different person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and don't think of it as like, I got to change a hundred percent overnight. Think about 1%. 1% doesn't seem like a lot. You might say to yourself, 1%, I could do better than that. Well, maybe, but focus on 1%, right? Not a hundred percent, not 10%. You can get 1% better at something every single day. Just be prolific and consistent. Just do it a lot and do it right. And practice and perfect and practice and perfect to the point where it's unconsciously competent. 1% gains add up. After a year, that's not 365%. That's addition. Let's talk about compounding. Yes. 1% compounded every single day at the end of one year is 3,778%. If you got that kind of return in the stock market, would you be pretty happy with that? 
You would run. I had you would 38 run. times my money. <laughs> I would be pretty happy with that. Well, guess what? You could do that with your own habits, which ultimately direct reality yes. and shape reality. But it starts with what you value and what you believe. If you believe and value certain things that are not getting you the results in reality that you want based on that process I just described, you have to go back and say, all right, what can I let go of? Or what can I adopt that's going to give me a different result? Because nothing changes if nothing changes. 100%. Dude, you are such a rock star. Um, I, I, I just want to give you a huge hug right now just for being you. And uh, for those who can't see this, we're definitely air hugging right now. I love um, you guys. I love you, Raj. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And everybody's listening, guys. Take some action. Do something. Change a habit. Change your life. That's really it. Uh, it's not freaking rocket surgery. It's not unattainable. You've changed habits before. When, I, when you started trying to walk, I bet you sucked at it. When you started trying to drive, I bet you sucked at it. But you didn't say, oh, I'm never going to walk because I can't do it now. No, you, you eventually figured it out. Um, and the same thing with driving and everything else you've ever mastered. It's just you, you sucked it up in first and you, you saw that the benefit of doing it was greater than the pain of figuring it out and you went and did it. So do that. And you can join us, come on the house build. You can join us, come to UPW. We want to support you in the way that we can support you. You just got to say yes. And the rest sorts itself out, I promise. Brad, where do they, uh, where do they find out more about all these amazing initiatives you're doing and how can they uh, be a part of your world, man? Okay, so two charities, unstoppable.org, unstoppablefoundation.org. Uh, we benefit uh, education in various parts around the world. Uh, Greatness Foundation uh, is where we do a lot of the, the, the builds and, and charity work, you know, in person. We do a lot of that. You can go to greatness.ngo is the best place to check that out. You can check me out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brad Hart. You can go to makemoremarbles.com. That's my home on the internet where I have all my podcasts. I actually run a, a podcast. We've had CEOs, best-selling authors, people billionaires, unbelievable people on the show. It's just incredible. And I get to walk them through and, and hear about their journey and, and get the, the key takeaways that they've found and stuff you can implement in your life like right now. It's really valuable, actionable stuff. And it's all free. It's on my website. You can check it out. Uh, I'd love to hear from you if anything has impacted you in some way. And most importantly, I'd love for whatever you learn to be taken and, and put out into the world as well. Uh, because I believe that we can collaborate towards winning. We can't compete towards winning. I don't believe in competition. It doesn't work anymore. We live in a world where we need to collaborate now to make more marbles, not just grab for the marbles that are already there because we're going to kill ourselves. Humanity is going to die if we keep competing with each other. I love it's that. Bad. I love that. Capitalism is death of humanity. I'm sorry. Not conscious right. capitalism. Right. Well, it's triple bottom line, right? So we got to start thinking not just terms of profit, but people, planet, and profit. Yep. Nature doesn't have a balance sheet, but if it did, it'd be in the red right now. And yeah. You can't know what we're doing. hundred percent, man. Um, so I, I have one last question. This is a question we ask all of our guests. Um, so in the midst of all your successes, achievements, where you've come from and where you are now, how do you stay grounded on a daily basis? I just know I suck. <laughs> dude i'm actually having a brush fire in my life right now it's great i'm like all this overgrowth and crap that's just been kind of building up and all these situations and relationships and people have been coming to a head like a, i've been okay with just having things kind of randomly going wrong and just understanding that i still suck right the buck stops with me i take extreme ownership over these things um you know and, and a lot of what i suck at right now is just keeping all the plates spinning, but I shouldn't be the one keeping the plates spinning. I need to step up out of that work on the system, not in the system. That's the phase I'm at. 
and you can get there too, but I had to suck at other things for a long time to get to the place where I could now suck at this. Uh, sucking at running three companies, sucking at being on the boards of two charities, sucking at having healthy relationships and, and doing the things that I need to do and making sure that I'm playing an A game with A players and not, um, you know, making, trying to make strong moves from a place of weakness either. You know, that's I love that you're okay with sucking. Uh, for everybody listening here, uh, it's okay to suck. Uh, because everyone starts somewhere as long as you dedicate yourself to consistently being okay with sucking uh, you will eventually not suck as much uh, but you'll find new things to suck at yes and, there's always another level to this game uh, yes levels, and, Jerry levels <laughs> and so uh, everybody I hope you I uh, hope you found this uh, interview with Brad Mr. Brad Hart extremely uh, fruitful I certainly did and I appreciate you um, just as much as I did before but now I again just want to give you a damn hug so the next time I see you you might get a tackle bear hug in some shape or form um, but um, everybody thanks again for joining us today uh, I'm your host Raj Jana. this is the Stay Grounded podcast and until next time stay grounded we'll talk to you guys love soon. you guys thank you progress over perfection have a great day Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Stay Grounded podcast brought to you by Java Press Coffee Company. My name is Raj, and I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay Grounded.